Well, good evening. Um, we'll go ahead and get started. See if actually a few more walking in, but uh, there was a train, so we'll be kind and allow a little bit more time. Um, so um, I feel like I'm like one of the last ones. Cause how long? We how many months have we been doing the Bible study? Several. Over a year. Yeah, I was so. Um, but uh, so it, it, I feel like all the topics were taken at this point. I feel like uh, the men have done such a, a great job, uh, outstanding job of uh, with with their topics. Um, but um, you know, there's always there's always something right that you can if you really think about it. So it was a little challenging. Uh, so I didn't have necessarily a topic to choose from. Like I said, they're all they were all taken. So uh, I guess I just you know you know a lot of times when you're when you're teaching a class or a a quarter uh, you know that's just kind of what's what's on your mind, right? So um, this is a very foundational or rather fundamental lesson. It's just basic principles. Uh, that I think would be um, very encouraging. It was for me to to revisit them about what real, uh, you know, real men, I'll say, Christian men uh, should follow and should be thinking uh, about. Um, and I took uh, I took some of the the thoughts um, from this book. I recommend this book. Um, it, it's titled "I Sought for a Man." Uh, teaching men to be real men, God's men, um, written long ago, but again, you know, lasting uh, tenets from the Bible. Uh, it was written by Robert Hartrider. Um, so, some of the things, uh, some of the concepts um, are drawn from that book. Um, but uh, you know, to start out with, um, I thought we would uh, focus on a, a passage in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 22, um, with the uh, with the Israelites, um, and um, it's essentially. Um, I guess I started my thought process off about, you know, okay, when you say real men, um, you know, a lot of times in our world. Uh, what what's what's society's views of uh, or how do they view a real man? And by the way, we're going to have a lot of class participation tonight. We are. I don't know. I just feel back and forth. Okay. So what? You know, it's not hard. What what does what does society think a real man is? Is it more of the physical physicality or the spiritual? For the most part. Um, it's it's the physical, you know. It's the machismo, the uh, it's macho man, right? Um, and uh, you know, is, is that is that what we're really looking for? Is that what we're is that why we're here? Is that what we're supposed to be? Um, again, there's nothing wrong with um, you know with uh, with being a real man, right? We we all should strive to be real men, but what I'm getting at is, at the heart of it, um, what's more important? It's the spiritual, right? And that's, um, it's, it's not a popular concept at all uh, in the world. Um, not, not at all. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I kind of started off and landed at, at this passage in Ezekiel. So let's read that uh, here, Ezekiel 22, 30, and 31. Um, says, I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. So I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have brought their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Um, so, you know, clearly talking about the the uh, the Israelites uh, and that's some powerful language, is it not? Um, and it, it reminds me of um, it reminds me of Jonah, you know, um, looking for uh, you know a righteous soul, 
in Nineveh, and uh, you know, finally, um, you know, utilizes Jonah, uh, and it takes several attempts. Um, but um, you know, the the whole point of this passage, I believe, is that you know God was looking for a man to basically to do what to stand up for the truth, right? Um, so uh, it, I thought found it very interesting that he uses this uh, this language uh, here about um, who would build up a wall. And, and stand in the gap, you know, basically stand up for the Lord. Um, I did find um, another, I don't know if I listed it out, um, but another version lists list out this term hedge. Um, and it caught my attention because I had just seen, I don't know, a few weeks ago I had seen a, like on the History Channel or some documentary about World War II um, and the use of Hedge, hedges and hedgerows. Um, so then I guess maybe I got off on a little, a little tangent. So maybe the next couple of slides might be just free. Um, but uh, um, before we get there, you know, I think I think it, it basically to me says that you know God depends on the presence of a of a committed and responsible men, okay, to stand up for the truth, um, to uh, to maintain a righteous society, if you will, uh, and to represent him on earth. So there's the, there's the, uh, the comment about the, the hedgerow. Um, and uh, again, I, I kind of looked into it. I found it very interesting. Um, back in World War II, um, in... It, Right after D-Day, you know, um, the Allied forces landed, and um, you know, the landing on D-Day was in and of itself historic, of course. But um, what what's really not highlighted a lot of times is the difficulty that the Allied forces had beyond the beachhead, uh, and it was these hedgerows. Uh, and sure, they didn't just appear; um, they probably were used in World War One even back in, in uh, Roman times. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's kind of just a, a, a parallelism of, uh, you know, standing up for the truth, being, being tough, being strong for the Lord, uh, because these hedgerows were, were used by the Germans uh, in France to essentially as natural, a lot of times natural terrain, uh, but they were, they were also man-made, and they just built up these huge hedgerows uh, to, to slow down the forces and make it difficult to pass. Um, there's some pictures of some, some hedges, some hedgerows. Uh, and uh, you can imagine trying to fight a battle uh, with an enemy, and on top of that, you've got you to gotta deal with all these brambles, you know, and briars, and just a, what we would think of as a thicket. Uh, if you've ever, you know, been hunting and just found yourself in the middle of a thicket, it, it was like that, like a, you know, a briar patch. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not the worst part of it. Um, you know, the worst part is the enemy forces that sat, uh, set up behind this hedgerow, you know, allied forces trying to penetrate and come through this way, and you can see what the Germans did. Um, set up, you know, snipers. Uh, some of these hedgerows were 12, 15 foot high. Uh, so they were like, you know, they would find trees within this hedgerow um, to, uh, to set up on, on the, the hedge, uh, machine guns, um, and so forth. Uh, so, you know, just extremely difficult um, challenge. Um, and that's, that's more of a kind of a physical um, manifestation of this, uh, our parallel to this verse in Ezekiel. Um, so I, I just found that interesting. Uh, you know, um, I think I guess I, I thought, you know, I'm only five slides into it and I'm already starting talking about tactics and it's a men's class, right? So we've got to talk a little bit about war. Um, 
Before we move off that, is any um, any comments, any questions on that, that concept? Y'all are going to be real quiet tonight. Okay. I have read that even tanks had a hard time getting through. Like we think about a wall, there's lots of kinds of walls, right? So even tanks had a hard time getting through those hedgerows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think see these guys standing in kind of this ditch. Of course, there's such thing as a tank ditch. Uh, so yeah, you would if you were able to get through it, um, they would dig these out so much that you know it would it would trap the tank. Um, and uh, they would I read they also put tanks you know like in the long axis of this. Uh, you can cover a lot of ground when it's kind of like view like a pipeline and go down um, through there. Yeah, they were they were very they used them to their advantage. We'll say that, and and they're around a lot of rivers and streams uh, as natural terrain as well. Okay, um, so kind of keeping with this this idea, um, and I hope we don't bounce around too much, but um, this first part. You know, masculinity or physicality versus the spiritual uh, aspect. Um, you know, I also, I don't know why, but this, this quote here, has, uh, I've seen this a lot. Um, and, in, in, I don't know, various contexts. Um, have you all seen that before? I'm sure you have. Um, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is that good men do nothing. Okay, um, so so what does that mean exactly? Is it is it as simple as it sounds? Um, I thought it uh, again interesting that uh, uh, this this fellow here, Edmund Burke, he was an he was an Irishman turned uh, turned Brit. He, and most of his most of his life he was in the British Parliament. Um, but he has always been attributed uh, with this quote. Uh, and if you believe the internet, um, they say, no, it, it wasn't this guy. He didn't say that. Uh, he may, he may, have, may have said something similar to that. Um, but anyway, they give the, the real credit to uh, another philosopher, John Stuart Mill, uh, back in 1867. Um, and essentially, these two fellows, you know, had different viewpoints of um, um, of the uh, kind of how a uh, essentially how a, a country should be ran. Um, you know, this guy was more conservative. Burke, um, he you know he didn't believe tearing down like going back to the French Revolution. He he thought, hey, let's just repair this re uh, this uh, regime and not totally tear it down and start over. Um, and, uh, you know, someone like Thomas Paine, they're usually pitted against each other. Um, he was more like us. He was pro-American. Uh, he was, hey, let's, you know, let's turn things upside down. Uh, it's, people are not being treated fairly. Uh, he was, uh, he was a revolutionist, uh, as well as, a, uh, for the French, uh, revolution. Um, so, uh, you know, to me, uh, and that's that's kind of the context of this quote, um, but um, it, it is true. I mean, if if you go out those doors and you know you in your life, whatever you do, whoever you're around, um, if we as Christian men don't stand up for the truth, uh, we don't set a good example. Uh, we don't say things when we should say things. What's going to happen? Yeah, it, it 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 will take over. That's what I get from this. Um, you know, uh, good cannot stay silent. Okay? And then, and that's what you know. I think that's what the I think that's what the Bible teaches in so many instances. Um, yeah, 
Evil will take over in the absence of good uh, or in the absence of people not standing up for the truth. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can, you can draw parallels to or specific examples of like false teachers, right? Um, false teachers that, that come into any environment or within the church. And if they're not challenged and they're not, they're not uh, questioned and defeated, actually, um, then they, you know, something other than the Word of God could take over. Um, so there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things you can draw, you know, general conclusions you can draw from a, a quote like that. Really, Absolutely. I mean, light and darkness, if you think about it, they cannot coexist, can they? Because if, like you said, if you had just a little small source of light, the darkness disappears. They can't coexist. Wait. In the context, James is talking about a person's sin. It applies to that too. It's definitely sins of omission or failed to do the things that were called to do. And also, for expectations towards sin, uh, the actions of sin. Good point. And, and, you know, I, I don't know, you just reminded me, you know, if I, I bet every one of us can think back to at least one example or one instance where you, you feel like you should have spoke up, maybe, you know, for the truth. And, and, and what does it do? It, it eats at you, doesn't it? It bothers you. Um, but hopefully we can turn it for good and we can learn from our mistakes. You know, I, definitely for from, from myself, there's, there's been multiple occasions where I look back and reflect and like, mm, it wasn't that I was doing anything wrong. However, if I omitted to do something that I should have done or say something that I should have said at the time, um, you know, that's really the same thing, like you're saying. It's, it's an act of omission. Um, and, you know, for those that know right, um, the right thing to do and, and do not do it not, then they're basically they're wrong, right? Um, but, I, you know, the only way you can really put a positive spin on that is just learn from our mistakes. You know, the next time you have an occasion and you can speak up and you can... They stand up for the Lord, stand up for somebody's honor, you know, then then you'll do it. You know. Okay. All right, continuing that, that thought, um, 
process of uh, or that line of thinking um, masculinity uh, versus the spirituality um, as we mentioned you know our society it's like bombarding people with the physical nature of man um, whether it's man it's woman it's rarely is a, is a lot ever on the spiritual aspect uh, and I'm talking about the world okay and I know you know we're we live in the world, but we're not uh, we're not of the world. Um, so, um, what are some instances of our society that that focus on um, the physical rather than the spiritual? Get to Samson in a minute. Yeah. Um, even like it depends on what circle you're in or what you know part of the country you're in or those sorts of things. You know, some places it's macho men, some places it's just the opposite. You know, that is what a man is supposed to be. Uh, but the common denominator in all of those things is there's no expectation of spirituality in a man. Um, whether it's the macho man or the emotional man or the pushover or whatever, there's there's an expectation that spirituality is more of, in my judgment, spirituality is something that's more of a woman's thing and, and demographics, you know, Prove that out uh, across all religions. Mm -hmm. uh, women greatly outnumber men in terms of those who are committed to any religion. Christianity is no exception to that. Uh, Christendom, all those who claim to be Christians, uh, women greatly outnumber men. Uh, and so the perception is, well, that's just not man's thing. And, and so with that, um, you know, I was thinking that. Does the world does the world view spiritual um, pursuits or spiritual beings? I guess that's not the right word. Anything related to to, to the spiritual as as weak? I think so. lack of truth it's the lack of you know 
um, spirituality. Is what it is. It, because it's it's because it's sin. It's sin. That's confusing. Yeah. There's a lot of confused people. Being part is has to do with the idea of submission. I mean, you know, what first thing do you put in your mind and you submit? I mean, we we grew off of submitting to English rules, right? And we said we're not going to submit to that. I'm just talking bringing it back to American society. We we're going to stand. Revolt, have a revolution. Mm-hmm. We're going to stand on our own feet. We're going to build our country. We don't have to submit to that kind of ruling. We're a free, democratic society. We can vote. We can. But but the idea of submission is not a strange concept to women. But all through the ages, it is not a concept that's commonly accepted by men necessarily. The Bible speaks explicitly about us being submissive one to another. But that, I think, is a strong correlation with that, uh, with weakness. And that's just simply not true. That's what I was thinking. It, it, I mean, when you say, I mean, you need to submit, well, hold up just a minute. That, that makes me look weak. Hmm. Well, I don't think that's a biblical concept. Right. But it is a very prevalent idea, concept that we struggle with in the society as, as gender, not just in American society, but societies across the globe that have struggled with through ages. The idea of submission is not something that we're, we want to be a part of. Right. But we're commanded. It's not suggested. It's com- I'm to submit to you. I'm to submit to my brother. You know, Submit him one to another. Anyway, I just and women are more in tune with that concept. To go back to your point, and, and willing to give of their lifetime, effort, energy to to a spiritual being because it's common to them, if you will. But but. Woman being the the weaker vessel, uh, it, I do think you're right. It's just more of a nat, maybe natural inclination or uh, just natural. Uh, it's a lot tougher for men to submit to anything. I agree with you. I mean, the only thing we want to submit to is the Lord, right? Because you know that's you know. That's the only thing we think we need to submit to, right? You as a country, we, we don't want to submit to other countries, right? Because we're, we're showing weakness. Um, we could be taken over. You know, you don't, you don't want to appear weak. You don't want to be weak. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's on every level of our society. Everybody that exists somewhere to do what's right. If you go to feed, it goes right down the line. Citizens submit to the government, the wife submit to the husband, children submit to the parent, and the slaves or we would say employees submit to the boss or the owners or whatever. If coach got fired on major college basketball team just for talking about that passage about a month ago, nobody likes to hear that. And there are a lot of people in the church that don't like to hear that. But everybody, if they're going to be Christians, will have they got somebody they got to submit to, even if it's just the Lord. But you know, I, I, when I preach on that, I like to go through that passage. Well, it talks about the men submit who they got to submit to, and it talks about the women obeying their husbands and everything. And nobody likes to read those verses anymore because. You get in trouble. People don't like you. You get mad at. I'm actually gonna. Yeah, we better move on. Children are supposed to submit to the mother and the father, and the mothers that don't like what was said before that, they got to submit to their husbands. It's the same God that says the children have to submit to her, 
and I use this term, and if you don't think you have to submit to your husband, don't be telling your children that they don't have that they have to submit to you, because it's the same God that says both of them. And when you start really, and don't the husbands, they don't need to be saying they don't have to submit, but they have that submit to too. But it is, but that's again, it's right. It's good not weakness to submit. It's an act of will to submit. It's me deciding to do that. Because nobody has to submit to anybody if they don't want to. They get in trouble for it, pay consequences, but you know, I don't have to submit to the government, but if I get caught, I'm going to pay the consequences for it. If we don't have our family that way, we're going to mess our families up, whatever. But I just had a verse. That, the one thing that needs to be, he was talking about that, you know, mixing the sexes up and everything. The Bible makes a huge distinction in what a man is and what a woman is and how they act. And in 1 Corinthians 16, in talking to the men of the church, it says, be strong, quit you like men. So even an inspired apostle, even the Holy Spirit understands these qualities that are now toxic masculinity are, are given by God. The combativeness, the, the strong kind of stuff. That's not evil in and of itself. It's just a matter of what am I standing strong for? What am I standing in for? Who am I fighting and why am I fighting them? Because we're in a war. The Bible tells us we're in a war. Somebody's got to fight. It's a spiritual war and we have to fight. And before we, before we move on, you know, I think we've, we've emphasized... Um, Maybe the, the, the weakness aspect of it. But why do I, why do you submit to the Lord? It's not out of weakness, is it? What is it out of? Love, fear, respect. Okay. It's, not, it's not always weakness when one submits to another. And, and I, don't, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, with Christians, um, you know, we're commanded to love the Lord, fear the Lord, respect more positive um, notions than than just weakness. Okay, but again, I think our society views it more as, as weakness. These are uh, these are a few things that I guess um, as I was reading and studying, these were on my mind. Uh, you know, I, I classify them as spiritual attributes. Uh, I know some of them um, uh, they're all found in the Bible. Uh, some of them, uh, hopefully, we can get to the you know the fruits of the spirit. But uh, you know, certainly these are things that we need to be striving to uh, to attain to. Um, grow in, if you will. Um, you know, of course, wisdom, you know, Proverbs talks so much about wisdom. That's why I love saying about Proverbs. Um, spiritual knowledge, self-control, temperance, boldness, sound judgment, tact. Um, I don't think you can go wrong with any of those qualities or those attributes. Um, and, and a lot of, you know, some of them are just general uh, good honest attributes um, but many of them have a you know, have a foundation in the Bible all right um, moving on um, you know we do study uh, or read in first Timothy uh, God gives man the role of of leadership 
uh, and it really, this is what we, we were just talking about. Um, you know, it's not derogatory toward the woman uh, per se, but it, it's just God's plan. It's God's plan. It's God's design, as we discussed, um, to be the head of the household, uh, to be over the woman. Uh, and um, it's really, you know, a responsibility um, that we have as Christian men um, to fulfill that. What this is, you know, another um, obvious question. So, in our society, we see this so often with broken homes. What happens when the man doesn't do this? What happens when the man is absent in a in a family uh, and and shirks his his role and his responsibilities? What happens to the family? They take over, don't they? Have to. Um, and oftentimes the family falls apart. It's broken. Um, you know, kids run wild, do bad things sometimes. Um, so it's it's set up and designed this way by God for a reason, uh, and it, it can definitely have some some dire consequences if it's not done that way. Oh, so we did get stamps. First Timothy um, two eleven through fifteen, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a wrongdoer. But women will be preserved through childbirth if they continue in faith, love, and sanctity with moderation. There you go. Exactly. Um, I, you may see this. I see this occasionally um, in public settings where a woman will be asked to lead a prayer. Um, telling you, society does not, as a whole, they don't see anything wrong with that. They just don't. Um, and if you look at Methodist churches, Catholic, maybe Catholic, maybe not Catholic. Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, there are female clergy, okay? Um, female uh, preachers. It happens. And again, it's not to be derogatory towards women at all, and not at all. It's just that's how God designed it. It's God's plan for men to step up. Am I being too politically correct? Why are you still out of this space? Yeah. 
It's true what I say. Yeah. Uh, people apologize too much for God's word and faith. I mean, that's just this subject, a lot of subjects, divorce, remarriage, and all kind of stuff. And one thing to remember is, you know, I don't like it. If I say something, somebody, somebody thinks they need to apologize for me. If anybody's ever had that happen, like, wait a minute, I want you to apologize. I, I meant what I said. That's kind of like God, too. God, I mean, God doesn't need us apologizing or sugarcoating or making it easier what he said. Just some of the clearest passages of the Bible they need. And he, you know, what it means. He said what he said. And I always remember verse, the verse says, if, if any man is ashamed of me or my word. One of the things that I've said, the same, I'll be ashamed of him on the day of judgment. And this is, it's obvious why I understand it, because that we get accused of bad motives all the time on that stuff. Women in the church, I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard the bad motives by Christian women saying that, that somebody would even teach these verses in a sermon. It's not true. It's just, it's what God said. But that's all the more reason for us to have great clarity in what we're saying. And to Eric's point, you know, if we're being accused of saying something that we're not saying, then we need to be clear. We need to be clear that this is not a matter of intellect. It's not a matter of value in the eyes of God. Uh, it's not a matter of inferiority. Uh, but it's, it's a matter of the roles that have been assigned. And there are reasons. We can get into all the reasons why those roles were assigned the way they were. Mm -hmm. But it's a matter of both man and woman submitting to roles God is assigned. And so, so we got to be clear about that because both those with bad motives, whether they are Christians or not, are going to quit those things we're not here. We need to give the motives, not let the world put the motives. So. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, like I said, it's God's plan, it's God's design. Yeah, that's Really challenging when you talk about that subject. You know, the song's called Teaching the Truth. You know, it goes through in one verse of the song, it talks about the woman falling in the gulf. And Jesus teaches her. You know, and, and of course, are we teaching the truth in love? Telling it like it is. Holding pure motives while showing that we care, but are we teaching the truth in love? As long as we're doing that, teaching the truth in love, holding pure motives, showing that we care, but you teach the truth in love. That's what Jesus did when he taught the woman who thought in the and taught those, all of those around her. Now, Jesus and Paul, you know, Reagan preached a number of times, from the forwardness of Paul, and how he thought, but he thought with love. Showing pure motive and showing that he cares. Yeah. Go on. Um, just a quick, uh, you know, note about Samson. You know, he had all the strength in the world, right? Um, but ended up, ended up failing. Um, so what was his downfall? The woman, right? The allurement of a of a pretty woman. Um, and we don't have time to read all the passages there, but uh, yeah, he essentially gave up all his strength um, for the wrong reasons. Another poor example, Absalom. Um, so in Second Samuel, we read, you know, he was the most handsome in all Israel, um, but um, you know, conceit and greed. Um, led him to uh, to insurrection against his own father, David, and uh, caused his untimely death uh, in in Second Samuel. Um, so we've got two examples here of physical strength in Samson, and then you know uh, handsomeness, I guess, um, you know, and uh, 
you know, the world's view of of what a man should be, both failing miserably um, and, uh, you know, reaping the consequences of that. Um, somebody talked about working out and all. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's always <laughs> um, kind of jumping around, but um, that's what the world views, you know, that... Uh, that um, physicality of man and and a woman, the uh, you know the fitness, the you know that's that's what everything's about. Um, and uh, you know you get on social media. I mean there are I'm sure in some circles there you know spirituality is discussed on social media, but I don't know what the percentage would be. It's far outweighed you know by the uh, worldly views of what what makes a man, you know, what's important. Um, so, you know, we need to develop ourselves um, in, uh, in wisdom, uh, stature, uh, spirituality, and, uh, and socially. And I tied this in, actually come across this in thought, because I think Reagan had a handout Wednesday uh, with this exact um, layout, Luke 2 and 52, uh, I think I've got, yeah. So this is this is an example by Jesus um, where we can grow spiritually, you know. Um, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. Uh, and uh, I really like how this turned out. But you know, wisdom, stature, favor with God is the spiritual aspect. Favor among people. Um, that's what, that's the social aspect. Uh, and, and really, obviously, spirituality, this one, uh, and spirituality, favor with God. But, you know, that one can't be overlooked either. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, socially in the right way, uh, because that's really our reputation. Um, and uh, our reputation as a spiritual leader, as a Christian leader, Christian man, um, that that can't be underestimated there, because that um, that you know weighs heavy on your influence, your reputation, influencing others um, to do good, your 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 positive example to do good, and that would fall some of that would fall under the social aspect. All right, real quick, uh, let's look at a good example. Um, our great, a great leader in Joshua. Uh, Joshua took over for Moses, um, essentially uh, Moses' right hand. Man. And when uh, at the death of Moses, uh, you know he took over. He um, was always found favor in God's eyes, uh, and, and led the Israelites in all these battles, uh, and I, I really, I don't know, I always enjoy reading about the battles that uh, uh, that that they went through. Uh, you know, they, they definitely had their struggles, right? Um, they didn't win every one of them. Um, but, uh, you know, Joshua was a tremendous leader, um, both with his people and and for God. Um, First Jericho, they had a... Um, Set back in AI with uh, Aiken and with the success of Aiken, and and uh, and then they had a second attempt at t- capturing AI and was victorious there. Then went on to Gibeon um, and uh, a few other battles. Um, but all in all, you know, Joshua was always what he said. You know what he what he you got what you. You saw, you know, he was always standing up for the truth, um, always trying to find um, and execute what what God told him to do, what God commanded him to do. Um, so I think he was he was definitely a great leader. That's just some more about God's commission to Joshua. Um, I like that verse: uh, "Every place that the sole of your foot will tread." Upon I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, into the great sea toward the 
the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And then, of course, verse 7 um, talks about being strong and courageous. Um, there's kind of a summary. Um, just some more attributes that we need to, you know, basic foundation, uh, faithfulness, be strong and courageous, be consistent. Um, so, any comments or questions there? What was Joshua's job before he became the leader of all these? He was a servant of Moses. And so we want to talk about submission. <laughs> to learn how to lead, he had to learn how to submit. He learned learn how to sacrifice, learn how to serve. And that's what prepared him for leadership. Uh, this is just a quick list of, uh, you know, what God God needs men to do and what really what the world needs of men. Um, yeah. so men who cannot be bought, whose word is their bond, who put character above wealth, who possess uh, opinions, and a will who are larger than their vocations, uh, who do not hesitate to take chances, who will not lose their individuality in a crowd, men who will be honest in all small things as in great things, men who will make no compromise with wrong, men who, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires, men who do not say uh, do not say do it because everyone else does it. Men who are true to their friends, men who are not ashamed to stand up for the truth. And that's from a book called In a Nutshell. Um, you know, I, I don't know. This one here catches my, my eye. A lot of, I mean, these are all good, but men to be larger than their vocation. Yeah. Maybe not for Reagan. He's a preacher. But I, I don't, I, you know, when I die, uh, I want to be known as, as a uh, a faithful Christian, a Christian leader um, that took care of my family and was was kind to my fellow man. I don't want to be known as uh, you know a school administrator. I mean, who cares, right? Um, and that that may be part of it, but that's not really what counts in the end. Um, so, you know, we need to be thinking about that. Like when you choose your profession. Um, it's not, it, it doesn't define you as a person, okay? It, it will shape you, yes, um, and it will impact a lot of things, but in the end, you know, your final days on earth, it's not about what you did for a living, really. It's about, you know, the kind of person you are, right? The kind of spirituality that you have. All right, we are close to being out of time. Um, this is just some thoughts about, you know, self-confidence. Uh, and I did want to get to this. Um, you know, people follow people, yeah, people follow others that are confident. All right. Um, if, you're, if you're not self-confident and confident in what you're doing, um, people see through that pretty quickly, don't they? Uh, and they're, you're not going to be a leader very long, or you're not going to be a good leader um, without self-confidence and without, you know, having some direction and really just knowing what's going on. Um, so this really talks about just, you know, don't be an impossible thinker. Be a possible thinker. Find ways to get things done. Um, looked at the negative first. I, um, I think the book called it a disadvantage complex. Um, but don't let these things define you. Okay? Lack of money, uh, lack of education, lack of talent, or lack of physical advantage. Okay? Um, 
There's always somebody out there that's worse off than you are. Always. Uh, and there's always people that are have less abilities and less resources that are probably doing better than you and I are. Okay? So there's always a chance um, you know, to make things happen, to improve. Um, you know, don't don't sit around feeling sorry for yourself, I guess is what that whole slide's about. So now for the positives. Um, obviously, commit to God. Um, John talks about, uh, you know, we, we how can you be a Christian leader if you're not a Christian, right? I mean, the, the obvious. Um, and not just being a Christian, being a faithful Christian, you know, being a good Christian um, is important. Let Christ work in you, Philippians 4.13. You see every sports team tout Philippians 4.13, don't you? Um, develop the fruits of the Spirit in your life. We won't, we won't turn to it. I'm going to turn to Galatians 5. Um, but if you lack any of these, you know, work on it. Pray on these things. Um, don't make excuses. Um, no, I think I may have skipped over it. But the one, you know, one thing I struggle with and always have is, um, I guess I, I skipped over it. Um, it's comparing myself to others. Do you find that you do that? Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't need to you know, override your thinking, or you, you don't need to dwell on it all the time. Um, I, I know I know it's a it's a sickness I have from the military. I do it all the time because you're like comparing yourselves to your peers, right? Who's going to get promoted? What have I you know have I done everything I need to to get promoted to you know the the uh, top on the list when because you know, everything is ranked. Uh, and it's tough, you know, and you do you start that bleeds over into other parts of your life. Um, but the the bottom line is, um, you know, I need to be worried about me. Right? I don't need to be worried about how I compare myself to someone else all the time. Um, you can do it in a way that can motivate you or you know do it for the good, maybe. You see somebody that, hey, I, I need to emulate them. I need to be more like this person and improve yourself. But but you don't need to constantly be comparing yourself to others thinking, I'm not worthy. I'm, you know, they, they've got everything that, that, I, that I don't have. You know what I mean? Um, kind of can give way to jealousy, envy. Um, you just need to be real careful about that. Uh, about comparing yourselves and, and focus on on us, on what we need to be doing and what you know who we need to be taking care of. Make sense? Okay. All right. I think that's the end. Um, we talked really about this already. Uh, building success patterns, increasing your knowledge. Um, you know. Again, I, when I when I teach a class, I you know I need to be I need to be reading and studying at that pace all the time. I don't always do that, study and read at that pace. You know, like every day, um, the amount that I do, you know, preparing for something. Um, you may find you know, that may sound sound like what you do as well, but uh, the the point is we've got to study, right? And I'm, I'm pointing right at myself. We got to study all the time, um, and we can't let other things get in the way. Time is our most precious commodity. Uh, good leader is always a good example. Um, that's the passage you're referring to. Uh, I think of Ephesians five. Um, a good leader is also a good listener, and then. Uh, you know, take the initiative to work problems out. 
I mean, I think we should. I think we do. Um, there's always going to be issues and things don't go exactly as planned. Um, but part of that is, you know, whether it's husband, wife, employer to employee, you know, coworkers, um, you got to listen. You got to hear people out sometimes. Uh, you can't always just come in and think you know exactly what's going on. You got to listen to people and uh, and work with them. Right, that's that's the summary slide. Um, so, um, any other comments or questions? Is this beneficial? I hope. Uh, I've asked Reagan to make some wrap-up comments, uh, mainly because. Um, so this was closely tied to Luke chapter two, and uh, anyway, um, if nothing else, uh, we'll uh, come on up, Reagan. I know we're out of time, and so I, I think I'm going to put a bow on it this way. Uh, in that, I went back and looked at her and asked her, and uh, next month. We actually started with Ezekiel. And uh, that passage, the, the context of that passage is a condemnation of the leaders of Judah. And the reason why they were going into captivity was because of those leaders. The princes, the royal class, the officials, that's kind of the governing, governing class, and the prophets, uh, who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders and directors of the people. And the common denominator among all those leaders is that they led selfishly, that they led for their own gain, they led for their own benefit, they stepped on the poor and the needy and the widows uh, so that they might be advanced, so that they might be enriched by the way that they led. And so it's in that context that God asked, uh, says what he does uh, that we read just a second ago, that I, I sought for a man who would make a wall or a hedge, who would stand in the gap before what? Stand in the gap where? Before who? Before, before me. Before God. But I found none. And so God says, I'm coming in judgment because there's not any leader there that is making me want to delay at all in coming in judgment. Now, had God sought for a man before in the history of Judah? Well, let me ask you this. Which king... Uh, which king is given over and over as the reason why Judah was going into captivity? Do you remember? Which king? The worst king they had. Now, that's, that's Israel. But in Judah, who was the king? Well, you can go back and look. It's Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh was the worst king. Who said Manasseh? Good job. You're right. Manasseh. Uh, well, did they go into captivity as soon as Manasseh was done? God had sought for a man before, and Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, uh, delayed the judgment of God. God sought for a man who would stand in the gap, and Josiah was that man. And we just talked about how Jeremiah talks about it was just in pretense. It wasn't uh, with their whole heart. But, but the leadership of one man made a big enough difference that God said, I'm going to delay my judgment. I'm not going to come in judgment because of the leadership of one person, one man who stood up and said, let's do what God wants. When he heard the word of the Lord, he tore his clothes and said, we need to make this happen. The kind of man who ventured into hostile territory to tear down the golden calf of Jeroboam and all the high places, one man made that kind of difference. And something, a question, rhetorical question I ask myself rather frequently from this passage if all that was standing between God and Him coming in judgment was me and what I was doing as a leader, would God delay His judgment and say, I'm going to give Reagan a little more time to work? And that's a leader in all of the areas of our life, right? We think about our leader in the home. Well, I'm going to give Reagan more time to be a father because he's raising godly girls who are going to grow up and they're going to make a difference in the kingdom and so on and so forth. Uh, in our work, well, I'm going to give Reagan more time to have influence uh, in his place of employment. And I don't want to be remembered as a preacher. I want to be remembered as a Christian, too. 
when it comes to our community as salt and light, I'm going to give Reagan more time to work in the church in building other people up so that they might teach others also in evangelism. And so when we think about ourselves as men and leaders, I think that's a really powerful way for us to think about it. Um, am I one of these gap-standing people who God is saying, I'm going to give him time to work as a leader? Um, I see a lot of those kind of men in this room. Monty? All the examples we see through the Old Testament of God. Yeah. He can't be stepped up. He's certainly a man. And there have been lots of occasions, Moses and others, who have stood up before God and said, just give me some more time. And, and God did that. We're, we're past time. We're well past time. I, I, I appreciate Barrett and I appreciate his, his thoughts and appreciate the man that he is. Um, what I'm going to do, I'm signed up to teach next month. And maybe this has run its course, maybe it hasn't. I'm going to send out an email over the next couple of weeks with some questions for us to think about. We'll have that one more class at least, and I'll teach that. And I'll have the results of what y'all say about what direction you want this class to go if we want to continue it in the same kind of uh, schedule that we've do, been doing once a month on a, on a night. So uh, be looking for that. I'll send that out, uh, and we'll have at least one more class together um, for these men's class, classes. Anything else to add?